So I want to begin by letting you in on a little bit of a, a secret, maybe a trade secret, as you will, of the preacher, which is that uh, there's a whole great deal of stress and consternation that happens among people who have to preach on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve in the weeks that lead up to it. So pretty much everyone who preaches knows this. So if you think about why this is for a minute, right? On Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, usually every single person from your congregation is going to be sitting out there and in the pews. And there's going to be new people. And there's going to be visitors who are all going to be checking out your church and trying to see if, you know, your church isn't too weird for them to consider joining in the new year when they decide to come to church more. And then there's a whole other kind of set of pressure, which is simply the pressure to be good, to say something, you know, that's new and innovative and something maybe even slightly provocative, something that folks have never heard before. And of course, you're talking to people who, even if they don't come to church all the time, have come to Christmas most years. There's a pressure to be brilliant and to be witty and for your sermon to be well-researched and scholarly and informed and also to be funny at the same time, to make folks laugh and cry, but of course not cry too much because it's Christmas and you can't be sad at Christmas. That would just be wrong. We have to be happy. And then to take all that and to kind of wrap it up in such a way that everyone leaves the church feeling like they're kind of walking on cloud nine as we head home to whatever Christmas festivities are on the other side of the service. So yeah, no pressure, right? That sounds like a pretty easy thing to do. But the thing is, this kind of anxiety isn't just something that the preacher feels in the run-up to Christmas, because I think in one way or another, this kind of anxiety and stress comes to us all. Because when I start thinking about Christmas, one of the first things that comes to my mind usually isn't the story about Jesus. Usually it's preparing a sermon, or all the stuff that has to get done for Christmas to happen at church, or the other many lists of things that have to get done before the big day arrives. So, you know, things like shopping lists of things that you have to get done, the list of ingredients you need to buy to make the things that you always eat at Christmas, the list of chores that you need to do to get the house ready for whoever's coming from out of town, or the list of travel preparations you have to make to go visit family. And so much of the lead up to today can make it really feel like it's all about trying to get all the things done so that Christmas will be right and perfect, you know, that we give the most amazingly thoughtful gifts that people talk about for years to come, or that we pull off that amazing Christmas party that will, you know, go down in the lore of our friend group or our office, or to cook that Christmas ham or whatever kind of Christmas meat you prefer to perfection. And this extends all the way to even coming to church today or on Christmas Eve you know, picking out that kind of perfect Christmas outfit or tie. Someone last night had the most amazing bluey uh, Christmas shirt on, which was most excellent. Or, you know, making sure the kids are all wearing the right Christmas clothes and having them on your children in time to make it to church before it actually starts. It's really quite easy for all these things to sort of take up more space in our hearts and our minds in the run-up to Christmas than Jesus the newborn king does. And I'd even go so far to suggest that kind of all of this frenzy and this prepping that we do for Christmas year after year, it almost kind of subliminally conditions us to think about Christmas in a certain way. It tells us a certain message maybe about 
what Christmas is or about who we are and who God is. And that message is this, that Christmas only comes, that God only comes to us after everything in the world and in our lives has been put into right and perfect order. Only after all the gifts have been bought and wrapped and put under the tree and all the chores get done. When the ham is cooked, not only, you know, to the FDA standard temperature to make sure we don't get food poisoning at Christmas, but is also the perfect color you wanted it to be and a season to perfection. When the whole family is cleaned up and appropriately dressed to get to Christmas and you make it there on time. And there were no arguments between getting ready, driving here in the car, and being here. So first off, if you manage to ever pull that off at Christmas, any year or every year, let me know how you do that. Because that just doesn't seem to be the reality that we live in. But the second thing to think about is this. That is not how this whole Jesus thing works. And that is not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas, the Christmas story, is the story of God coming to us in Jesus, not because the world is perfect, not because we put the world in order, but precisely because the world is a mess. Precisely because the world is a mess, and not just a mess that we've kind of just happened to walk into that someone else made, it's a mess that we've contributed to as well. The Christmas story is the story of God entering into the middle of the mess of this world and into the middle of our mess in order to deliver us from it. And the story of Christmas, this message of a Savior who's for all people, that's born to a young mother, is every bit as true today, this morning, here in Greenville, South Carolina, as it was that very first Christmas long ago and in a place that is far away. If you actually take a minute to kind of think about it, the world that Jesus was born into those many years ago, it wasn't that different from the world that we find ourselves living in today. The world Jesus was born into was a world that was ripped apart by war and by conquest, where Israel, God's own people, had been overtaken and were being ruled by the power of Rome, a group really, to them, they would consider absolutely godless pagans. And because of this reality, in Jesus' day, questions of politics and government and power, all of those things were on the front of everyone's mind. And if you walked down the street and asked anyone what they thought, they would be quick to tell you, because everyone had a really strong idea about what the right way was to deal with the problems at hand, the right way to be faithful. It just turns out most people had really different opinions of what that looked like. It was a divisive world. It was also a world that was deeply divided between those who have and those who had not. It's a world where the poor and the vulnerable didn't have the kind of protections maybe we think of even in our own society today, where they were without, where those who were disabled, women who were widowed, they had really no options to make a living. And most of the society that Jesus was born into had virtually nothing by what we consider. So yeah, today in 2023, we have cars, and we have iPhones, and we can fly, which is pretty awesome. And we have so many more things. But really, all these things are just kind of trappings that are kind of put on our modern life. If you kind of take away all of those things, the same basic human problems and worldly strife that existed in the first century is still here with us 
in the 21st century. And it runs through every single one of the centuries between then and now. The way that scripture likes to talk about this is that the world, the world that Jesus was born into and the world that we live in today is held captive under the power of sin. That it's in slavery and bondage to the power of sin. And that life in this world is lived in the shadow of death. It's everywhere and all around us. There's great and real darkness that surrounds us. A darkness sometimes that Christmas even serves to illuminate and bring to our minds, even though it's always there. And yet the message of Christmas is that into this darkness, into the darkness of this world, of that world long ago, there emerged a light. And not just a light, the light. The one through whom the world itself was made. Everything was made through him. That one choosing to enter creation in order to redeem it, to buy it back from its slavery and bondage to darkness. The world's true king leaving his throne above to come to us not in the splendor of a monarch, but as a child. And not just any child, but a child who was born not where you think a king would be, in a lavish palace where everything was perfectly in order, or even in a modest house that was kind of normal for the family of the day, or even inside a hotel for that matter. But instead, a king who was born in the stable out behind of a hotel because there was no room for him. And this child was greeted not by servants and attended by midwives, but he was met by lowly farm animals and commonplace shepherds. He was laid not in a bassinet fit, fit for a king that would be lined with silk linens and soft cushions, but simply wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. I don't know why it never struck me until reading Luke's gospel this year, but when he's had the angels appear in the field and they tell the shepherds who are out there that this very sight of Jesus, this child being wrapped in swaddling cloths and put in a manger, that that is the sign that God's redemption has come. Just think about it. It's not like the angels show up and say like, oh hey, there's this really great king you need to go check out. No, it's go see this baby in a thing animals eat out of. This is the sign. You just picture like the shepherds being like, what? This doesn't even make sense. Okay, we have to check it out. It's a window to the message of Christmas, that the Son of God comes and messily enters this messy world And he's bringing with him the promise that through him and through what he will do in his living and his dying and in his rising, that things won't always be as messy or as hard or as painful as they seem now. He brings with him the promise of salvation and redemption. So no matter how many years pass between that first Christmas, no matter how much may seemingly change in the world year in and year out, there's actually something that remains the exact same across all of these years. And it's the promise of that first Christmas. It is unchanging. The good news of great joy for all people that was shouted across the sky by the herald angels hits our ears the same as it hits the ears of those shepherds. That the savior of the world is here. He is here. He is with us. That God hasn't asked us 
to put our house in order, to get ourselves together in order to approach him. But instead, God has chosen to come to us, to come to us as poor and lowly as we are, himself being poor and lowly. As Charles Wesley put it in his great hymn about those herald angels, that in Jesus, God is pleased as man, as a human, with man, to dwell. And Jesus isn't just the sign that God is with us, but he's also the sign that God is for us, that God is on our side, as Jesus' life will bear out. His living, his dying, and his rising, Jesus sets not just us, but all of creation, all that he himself made, he sets all of it free from the bondage of sin and death and the power of the darkness that surrounds us. This morning, I would guess that there probably are some things in your life that came through that door with you that are even there in the middle of the joy of this season. Maybe they're even highlighted by the joy of this season. Burdens, sorrows, mess. I know I have all of those things, so I'm just going to assume that you probably have those things too. I would assume too that you probably have seen and felt darkness in your own life and in the world around us. But this morning, we take a minute to remember that in spite of all of that, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus himself, this baby, is the true light of the world and that he has come to us and he shines brightly in the middle of the darkness and as John tells us, the darkness cannot and will not ever overcome his light. So my late grandmother, one of her absolute favorite Christmas hymns was O Holy Night, which I think we're singing. So good job, John. We didn't even talk about it. And this hymn's first verse, it has one of maybe my favorite lines in any Christmas hymn. It's a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The good news on this Christmas and every single Christmas is the same which is that in Jesus, there is indeed hope for this weary world, and there's hope for each one of us, whether we come here this morning wearied by that world or not. The hope is still the same. It's a hope that comes to us in the middle of whatever we face, in the middle of our own mess, and a hope that's so real and so true that even in the middle of the darkness, when it seems like there is no hope, we can rejoice because there really is. Because in Jesus, who is God with us, we have hope that out of darkness there has and there will break a new and most glorious morn. And this hope makes it possible this Christmas and every Christmas, no matter what the year before has brought, no matter what has changed in the world around us, it still makes each Christmas a merry and a happy one. Let us pray. On this Christmas day, Lord, we thank you that your Son has come to us, that though we, Lord, are poor and lowly, that you chose to come to us as one of us in order to make us rich that your salvation, Lord, has appeared 
to all people has appeared to us. And Lord, we pray that this message, this good news, these tidings of great joy of your Son, of our Savior Jesus, would be born in us again this day. That, Lord, this good news of Jesus would remind us today that you came to redeem us, to purify us, Lord, to make us your own people, a people zealous for that good news and zealous to bring that good news to a weary world that is desperate for it. Amen.